0: Also, uh, as has been our tradition this year and our custom this year, we've been praying for other churches in our community, and, uh, and this morning we were in our prayer time before service, and I realized I'd failed to select a church for today. Jim was going to pray for a church, and, and I thought, you know, we've, we've covered a lot. I don't want to just guess, and, and I want to be intentional about this. And then, and then something happened. A friend of mine walked into the room, and I was like, hey... This is a surprise. Uh, Pastor Ben Arnold is here with us. Can you just wave? He's a, he's a Star Wars fan, which is one of the many reasons that he's awesome. But another reason he's awesome, his wife, Bethany, uh, is an amazing, amazing woman of God. And we get to hang out with them up at camp. They are associate pastors in Cottonwood, Arizona at Living Water Church. He's like, oh, that's where you're asking for the name of our church. Um, and he just dropped his son off at LAX. His son is going to Nicaragua. For two months to go and serve, just turned 15 years old, and is going and spending two months with our missionary in Nicaragua. Um, But we're going to pray for your church this morning, and so here's what I want you to do. Would you stand, Ben, and when you have a chance today, would you give him a hug and a a nice warm welcome? If you're sitting close by, or even if you're not, if you want to come lay hands on Ben, we're going to pray for Living Water Church. What time is your guys' service? It It was at 10, all right. So you guys still in, would they be meeting right now? He's still preaching. All right. (laughs) I can relate. Maybe you can too. Would you come lay hands on Ben and let's pray for living water. Uh, this morning. Father God, thank you for the body of Christ, Lord, and that we get to have a brother in our midst this morning. Lord, we bless him. We bless his family. We pray over their son uh, as he goes to Nicaragua. We pray for uh, safety and, uh, and just a fruitful time of ministry and formation for him. Lord, we pray over the congregation in Cottonwood this morning. Lord, we ask that you would bless that church abundantly overflowing, over the top, Father God. I pray that things that have been in their heart and the heart of the leadership, Lord, would come to fruition, Lord, as they seek your face and, and faithfully serve you, and we give you honor for that in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Well, we're continuing our series this morning entitled, The Church Jesus Loves. Um, I, I've heard it said that I give long introductions. Um, and uh, I, I, I can, I guess that's accurate. So I'm going to try and do a briefer introduction because we're about seven weeks into the series. So I think as, as a whole, we all kind of know where we're going with this. So, so a super brief introduction, the church Jesus loves. That Jesus always loves his people, his bride. But there's ways that he's called us to live, that he loves it when we represent him well. He, you know, in the same way that as a parent, we're proud of our kids and we want our kids, we want to be pleased with our kids. Our love doesn't really change, but there's times where we're not pleased with our kids, that Jesus wants to not just lavish his love on us, but he wants to love the way that we represent him. And so that's the the tone of this series, that um, the world looks at the church and there's things about the church that bother the world, the world being people who are, I would say, outside of the church, people who have not had an encounter at church or people that have been a part of church at one point and, and said, you know, that was not a good experience for me. I'm done with that. I'm not going back. It should bother us. It should bother us that there are people that would say that that, that the church is a problem. It should bother us that people would say things like, I, I don't mind Jesus, I just don't like his followers. And it, it, what I'm not saying is they should bother us. We should be bothered by the fact that that's even a thing, that's even a conversation. The fact that Gallup and Barnet and all of these can actually do research on this topic, and they have, it should bother us. It should bother us because we're the bride of Christ. We are, as Jim said, the the heirs of the promise and co-heirs, joint heirs of the kingdom. And so it should bother bother us, but it should bother us in such a way that it leads us to do something about it. It should lead us to actually act and change. So what does the church that Jesus loves look like? What's he calling us to be? And we've talked about a number of things. I'm not going to recap them all. Um, If you've not listened to the messages, you can go online, you can listen to those either through the podcast or online at ThriveGlendora.org. They're all posted there and you can listen to those. But today I want to speak specifically about this. The church that Jesus loves is empowered by His Spirit. The church Jesus loves is empowered by His Spirit. Um, I, wanted, you, you, I want you to turn your Bibles through the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 2. So I mentioned before that today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost uh, basically means 50. It's the word 50. And, it, and it's 50 days after Easter, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, and after He had ascended back into heaven, we come to Pentecost Sunday. This moment in history and this moment in time and this moment in their lives that would change everything. It's the day that we understand that the Holy Spirit comes into that upper room. And we'll read about that in just a minute. A significant day for us. Um, if you're on Facebook, I want to encourage you. Uh, you can look on my, my feed, but you can also look up a man named Glenn Burris who is our Foursquare president. Glenn this week was in Rome after our Foursquare convention concluded. He immediately got on a plane and flew to Rome, where he gathered together with other Pentecostal leaders from around the world for a meeting with the Pope. And there's video footage of them sitting on a stage. In fact, Glenn is in the second row, and if he reached out like this, he would be laying his hand on the shoulder of the Pope. And and in this gathering, I would guess there's about 25, 30,000 people gathered. And they're singing Majesty, the song that Jack Hayford wrote. Wor- majesty, worship his majesty. And, and here's what I saw. The Pope has these hands like this lifted before the Lord and is worshiping. I thought, how cool is that, that the Pope is singing one of Jack Hayford's worship songs that he wrote. I thought, that is just cool. And then the Pope, the Pope. The leader of the the Catholic Church globally gets up and says, makes his statement, we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can I tell you, church, that moment 2,000 years ago, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus was significant, but it's only as significant as we make it a reality today. It was not simply a historical event it is an ongoing work that God wants to do in our midst. The, the church Jesus loves is empowered by His Spirit, not once, 2,000 years ago, but daily. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, we're going to have the words up here on the screen. And I'd like for us to read this together. Can we, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. There's two slides. Um, let's read this together from the words up here. Ready? Go. They were all together in one place. And I talked about a little bit earlier this waiting. The disciples had spent time with Jesus after the resurrection, and um, there was still this sense of bewilderment, a little shock because of what they had seen, watching Jesus be beaten and crucified and and ultimately die. Uh, You don't just bounce back from something like that you don 't you don't just quickly recover, and even though Jesus had resurrected and when he comes to them they 're having a hard time understanding what 's going on, even though Jesus had told them plainly this is what 's going to happen uh, you know when you can explain something to someone and then they go through it themselves it 's a different it 's a different kind of experience, and you need to process it they 're still processing, and so now they have jesus back he 's not dead he 's alive, and he starts sharing with them. With them, things that are going to take place over the the coming days, ultimately ending with His ascension, and He ascends back into heaven. But in the midst of that, He gives them some instruction. He tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, just right before this event happens in Acts chapter 2, says, on one occasion while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, everyone say wait. Wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends. Of the earth. This was a key moment for the church. It was a turning point for the church. And in fact, it was the birth of what we would call today the church. This gathering of people sitting in this upper room. And, and, and the term wait here that Jesus uses is so key for us. As I said before, we don't like waiting. We're not good at waiting. As a culture, as a society, we don't like waiting. Is there anyone in the room today you'd say? I love just waiting. doesn't matter. I just love waiting. I love waiting for my food. Okay, okay let's talk afterwards, Jeremy. But no, I, I could see that. You're actually a really patient guy, so I could see that. Um, we, we don't like waiting. We like to get what we want quickly, right away. I, I have this app on my phone. It's a Starbucks app. I love my Starbucks app. I can reload it with money. I get rewards, and it pops up and lets me know when I'm getting free stuff, which really isn't free. I've spent a lot of money to get those things. But my favorite free feature by far is the order ahead feature. If I know where I'm going, I can order my coffee, and I'll get there, and it's waiting for me. Why? Because I'd rather have my coffee waiting for me than me waiting for my coffee, right? (laughs) I can skip the line. We don't like waiting, but Jesus says to the disciples, and I believe he would say to us, wait, wait on me, wait for the gift that I've promised, wait for this blessing. We like getting gifts. I know you do. I know you like getting gifts. I like getting gifts, but he says, wait, wait until you get the gift that was promised. Why is waiting so important? What's important for a couple of reasons, it was important for them and it's important for us. First, the waiting was this, don't go back to what you're used to. Don't go back to your old life. Just don't go go running back to the fishing boat, Peter. Yes, I'm ascending into heaven. Yes, I'm going to be gone. Um, and yes, it's going, to, it's going to be an awkward moment because I was there, I died, I came back to life, and now I'm gone again. And you're not going to know how to behave and what to do in that moment. And so, so wait, just wait. Before you go back to your fishing boat, before you go back to your old life, before you just resume behavior as it was before, wait. Be patient. We like to do stuff in the midst of our waiting, right? I mentioned like the sitting at the DMV, so much better to have your phone or a book because we we don't like to just sit and wait. We want to be active. We want to be productive. And so often we'll just give up on the waiting and go back to what's comfortable and what's easy and what's convenient. Their waiting was rewarded and ours would be too. See, they were rewarded with the power of the Holy Spirit, which came upon them. And can you imagine being in that room? Like, I've, I've thought about before what it's like to be sitting in that room. There was 120 people that were in that place, as Scripture tells us. And it says that as they were gathered together in this room. By the way, remember, Middle East, no air conditioning, right? In upper room where hot air rises. So it wasn't probably very comfortable either. And they're hanging out, and they're spending time, and, and all of a sudden in this moment, the place starts shaking, and there's this rushing wind. I'd imagine there was no small amount of freaking out going on, right? And it was a holy moment, but oh my goodness. I know, I know, uh, I, I didn't grow up in a place where you have earthquakes, um, so moving to California, and, and then even living in Alaska for a few years, lots of earthquakes, and I remember those first times we were on a trip with our family and we were staying in LA and I, I remember experiencing my first earthquake, waking up in the middle of the night and everything's moving and stuff, you know, the cable box fell off of the TV. Uh, it freaked me out a little bit. They're in this room and things start happening that aren't normal. They're rushing the wind, the, the, the tongues of fire and, and they're looking around going, what is happening? Is this it? Is this the thing that Jesus talked about? but their waiting was rewarded. And it says that there was this wind and there were tongues of fire. Again, flames just start popping up over your head. That's not normal. Can we agree? That doesn't happen. Maybe it does to you. That's not normal. And so there's these flames and they start speaking in other tongues. Here, here's what I love about this. They're speaking in other languages. There's this rushing wind. There's tongues of fire. And here's what we don't see in Scripture we don't see confusion. We don't see any confusion. Now, I said, you might be freaking out, but, but Scripture doesn't list that. There was no confusion because where the Spirit of the, the Lord is, there's freedom. And so there wasn't confusion. In fact, what what happened was absolute clarity, absolute clarity in the midst of things that were not normal, it was the most normal place they could have been. It was the best place that they could have been. And it's evidenced in what happened right after. See, because there was such a commotion around what was going on in that room that people outside noticed and said, something's happening up there. It's not normal, and in fact, their accusation was what? You're drunk. A whole bunch of you, 120 of you, you're drunk, and it's only 11 o'clock in the morning. And Peter's response, of course, he gets up and he preaches a message. He preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. 3,000 people. Now, they were used to crowds, but they were used to crowds following Jesus. In this moment, empowered by the Holy Spirit, a brazen, bold, obnoxious fisherman who was not eloquent gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. That moment in that upper room changed Everything It changed everything for the disciples, and it changed everything for us. Why? Because we get to partake in what they partake, uh, partook in. Partook, <laughs> partook of and in. The power of the Holy Spirit. Living empowered, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, the church Jesus loves is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It has to be. I would even suggest to you that we can't live as the church apart. From the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think in so many places in our history as a church. Where we've gotten it wrong. Is because we've been devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit. And said hey God we got this figured out. We kind of don't need you anymore. To be your church. And then it goes sideways. So what does empowered looking. Empowered living look like for us. What does empowered living look like. For us, I want to touch on three things this morning. First is this: we're empowered to pray. We're empowered to pray. This is something that God is stirring in my heart very deeply. And as someone who's known Jesus for 38 years, I've I've walked with Jesus for 38 years. I was five years old when I said yes to Jesus. I'm 43 almost 39 years coming up on 39 years i've known my whole life that prayer is important but like the disciples we we forget i forget and i get busy and i go back to things that are familiar and god has been stirring my heart that i'm to be a man of prayer not just because i'm a pastor but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and because his Holy Spirit empowers me and empowers you to pray. See, because prayer is, is less about an activity and it's more about a lifestyle. Can I say that again? It's less about activity and it's more about lifestyle. See, because it's in prayer that, that we're empowered. We're empowered in prayer and we're empowered to pray. And the one comes before the other. See, when I come to prayer, I am empowered. And when I'm empowered, I know how to pray. Because I don't always know how to pray. But before I can get to that place where I'm making my requests known, God's saying, spend time in my presence and just be with me. And I will pour out my power in your life that you will have understanding and wisdom. You will dream dreams. And you will see visions. And you'll have words of knowledge. And things will stir up inside of your life that you will know how to pray. But I first need to be empowered in prayer, and so do you. How do I know this is important? Well, because we look at the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. Nice short verse. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's it. He often, regularly withdrew, got away from distractions, got away from other people, and got alone with his Father and spent time communing with him. Spent time in prayer. Said this before, it's worth saying again, if it was important for Jesus to do, it's probably important for you to do. Would you agree with that? All right, if you have a problem with that, let's talk about it afterwards. We can have a longer conversation. What we see Jesus doing was a model for us to know how to live our lives. It was important for Jesus to pray. Can I suggest to you that it's important for you to pray? It's crucial for you to pray, but not praying aimlessly. In fact, at one point, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray understanding they're seeing jesus come back from these prayer times and there was a difference and they're going jesus would you teach us to pray because we want a little bit of what you have one of the marks of the church should be we're praying people and that prayer should translate to when we're when we're out in our communities when we're in our workplaces when we're in our neighborhoods that people go what is it about you why pray i don't know how to pray would you teach me to pray Can you imagine that? I pray that you would imagine that. That people would come and say, would you teach me to pray? It's funny, we have issues with the church and and people have problems with the Bible and and religion, but anytime anything happens in our nation, in our world, last night a, a terrorist attack in London, this week an attack in Manila in the Philippines, there is a, a community, there's a whole town in the south of the Philippines that has been held hostage by ISIS, where, where ISIS fighters are coming in, and, and, and if people can't quote the Quran, are murdering people in the streets. This is happening, this is happening this week, and what is always the call that goes out to people, please pray. People who don't go to church, people who, who aren't religious, what do they say? Pray, because there's something about the appeal of the power of prayer that even, even appeals to the person who's not a religious person. We know that this is a go-to place for us, yet we don't go there. It wasn't optional for Jesus, and it can't be optional for us. See, empower, empowerment in prayer, I'm struggling with those words. They, they, I, they typed into my iPad really easily, but i <laughs> Empowerment in prayer... Peter Piper, um, empowerment in prayer is not a result of a vending machine or drive-through encounter with God. I was sitting at Starbucks last night and I took this picture, um, the dairy, aka little quick mart, where you can literally drive up. I get a kick out of these. Yeah. I, I think they're hilarious. I've never any. Does anyone use these? I just buy. Yeah? You use them? Well, you're in your car a lot. You're, you're out on the road a lot. I, I, I was looking at this place, and I'm like, literally, this thought is going through my head. How do they stay in business? Because yeah, yeah, right, right. you're selling a gallon of milk here and a bag of chips there. I'm like, how do you stay in business? But the convenience to just be able to drive up, don't have to get out of your car. Guy walks out. Gal work, walks out. Hey, what do you need? Uh, flaming hot Cheetos, uh, a gallon of milk to put out the fire, and, uh, right? and a pack of gum. Guy goes back, get, you're just sitting in your car. He comes back, gives it to you, you pay, and you're on your way. <laughs> I would suggest that so often our prayer lives look like this that we come to the Lord. God, I don't want to really be inconvenienced. So, so don't ask me to take time out of my day or too much time. Or, Lord, prayer is just hard. And can I just say right up front, getting alone to pray is not easy. There's never been anyone who, who's not gotten to a place of maturity and really put in the time where they go, I'm just always in a place of prayer. There's very few people, and even the people that love it, it's still work. It takes sacrifice. That prayer is a discipline. And see, we don't want to be inconvenienced, and we don't want to have to wait. See, because you can get your gallon of milk here, so you don't have to go into Vons and get stuck behind the person who's got 25 coupons in a checkbook, (laughs) right? Come on. You know what I'm talking, you just felt that stress rising as I said those words. Tell me you don't get up to the front of the line and you're like scanning and you're like, okay, who's the slowpoke? Or you get the chatty cashier. They're like, stop having a conversation because I need to get out of here. I go places where I need to be and things to do we get impatient so we go through the drive through god don't inconvenience me because i have things to do see empowerment in prayer is an outflow and an overflow of time in the presence of god it's about being in his presence i want i want to say this statement i want you to catch this it's not transactional it's transformational Prayer is not transactional. Hey, God, I'm just going to come and tell you what I need, and you're going to give me the answer, and then I'm going to be on my way. That's a transaction. Prayer is not transactional. It's transformational first. Now, Jesus tells us through the Apostle Paul, make your requests known. Why? Because he wants to bless you. He wants to be a good father to you. But before it can be transactional, it has to be transformational. And part of the reason for that is when you're transformed in the power and the presence of God, your requests are going to change and your priorities are going to change. And you're probably not going to ask for the same things. So prayer has to be transformational, not transactional. We have to spend time in the transforming power of the presence of God. And I'm not talking about services. I'm not talking about meetings. I'm not talking about programs or studies or gatherings. I'm talking about you being with Jesus. I'm talking about you being in the upper room. See, because you're the church. You're the church. If we were to strip away all of this, the chairs, the lights, the sound system, the guitars, if we were to strip away the church office, right, emails and communication and camps, if we stripped all of those things away, what would we be left with? If we if we hinge our faith to this stuff, we're going to be left wanting. Because it's not transactional, it's transformational. Listen to me, church. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that cannot be changed, healed, redeemed, restored, forgiven, and transformed in the presence of God. Right. Nothing. nothing. That's right. And so... Knowing that, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the gift that my Father promised. I'm going to empower you to be the church that prays. Jesus has called us to be, and the world needs us to be, a church, a people who pray. Let me say that again. Jesus has called us to be, and the world needs us to be, your neighbor's need you to be, your co-workers need you to be, the people sitting around you right now need you to be a person who prays. Before we pass out a a flyer or an invitation card, we need to be a people who pray. We need to be a people who go ahead of ourselves in prayer, a people who go before we open our mouths and extend our witness to say, Lord, Change me first. I want to be in your presence because then we, we go. We actually have the goods to back up what we're saying. Ephesians six eighteen, Paul says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. Pray in the what? Okay, I'm going to say that again. Pray in the what? The in the spirit. Why? Because there's power in the spirit. Don't just pray off the top of your head. Pray in the spirit. Is he speaking about tongues? Yes, but no. Praying in the Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues. Praying is, in the Spirit is being empowered by the Spirit. With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All right, second is this. We're empowered for extraordinary living. Extraordinary The power of the Holy Spirit ruins us for ordinary life. The power of the Holy Spirit should ruin you for ordinary life. Are you ruined? Are you wrecked for regular life? You should be. I hope you are. And if you're not, I hope you get wrecked this week. Not that you're in a wreck. Come on. See, the disciples were just this... This ordinary group of people, fishermen, a tax collector, and the rest of them, we actually don't really know what they did, but we know from Scripture that they were not scholars. They were not learned people. Why? Because when they got up and did things, people were like, wait a minute, where are you getting this? Because you didn't study. You didn't have money. See, back then, in order to be educated, you needed money. These guys didn't have money. They didn't have the education. They didn't have the background or the pedigree. They were ordinary people. And, and the larger group in that upper room, the 120, it says in Acts chapter 1, uh, that, that it lists those that were there. I'm not going to take time to read all of that, but it says it lists all of the disciples. Which, by the way, um, when, when you're wondering who the disciples were and you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Luke was not a disciple. He came, he came later. And it's always fun to, to list the names of the disciples. We're not going to do that. See, I got distracted by myself. Um, it says there was a group numbering about 120. Here's what, the, here's what we know. That Jesus' family was a part of that. So there were carpenters, there were fishermen, there were tax collectors. It's, it's theory that, that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And so you've got a room of ragtag people. By the way, there's women in the group. And I say that again. There were women in the group. And the power of the Holy Spirit came on all of them. Men, women, children. It didn't matter. The Holy Spirit came on all of them. And Peter would later quote Joel. and said that, Who said that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall on all flesh. On all people. And as the Holy Spirit fell. These normal people went from being normal to being ruined for ordinary life. Again, Peter gets up, an ordinary fisherman. Yes, he'd spent three years with Jesus. But we know that just 55 days earlier, 52 days earlier, 53 days earlier, he had denied Jesus. He had stood there and said, I don't know the man. And now, under the power of the Holy Spirit, gets up and preaches a message that leads to the transformation of 3,000 souls. And he doesn't stop there. From that point on, they keep going and going and going, ultimately ending up with us being here today. Ordinary people that were ruined for the ordinary, we're empowered to live extraordinary lives. But we tend to forget that this is our new normal. John 10.10, our key verse for our church, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You in Jesus Christ have life and you have it to the full. You have abundant life. What does the enemy want to do? He wants to rob you of that. And so we forget that extraordinary is our new normal. Extraordinary is your new normal. And if you don't feel like it, you probably have to spend some time in prayer. God has called us to live extraordinary lives. We have the fullness of God in our lives by the Holy Spirit. The fullness of all that He has for us is available through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that ruins us for the normal. Because we're forgetful, though, Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, tells us this. All I have spoken to you, uh, all this I have spoken to you while still with you. This is out of John 14. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the one whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will do what? Remind you of everything I've said to you. Why? Because we don't like waiting and we're easily distracted and we forget. So he says, I'm going to empower you, but because I know your propensities, I know your tendencies, I'm actually going to give you the Holy Spirit to remind you as well of who you are. And you know, there's reminders, and then there's reminders. There's reminders that are kind and gentle. Hey, honey, hey, don't forget to do that thing. Oh, thanks for the reminder. And then there's a reminder where there's kind of a, like there's a dig, right? There's a little bit of a guilt trip that comes along with that. You did remember to do that, didn't you? You know what I'm saying? Can I tell you, God reminds us with the former, not the latter, that when he reminds us, it's a gentle reminder, it's a kind reminder, there's grace in the midst of that. Why? Because he wants us to win, he wants us to be empowered, he don't want, doesn't want to beat us down, he wants us to feel the authority and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, he convicts us of sin, not so that we feel guilty, and just stay in that guilt, but that we come to repentance and are restored to who we truly are in Jesus Christ. We are empowered to live extraordinary lives. And finally this, we're empowered to preach. We're empowered to preach. We're empowered to to pray, empowered to live extraordinary lives, and we're empowered to preach. Now, listen, this is one of these messages where there's so many layers to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We could spend a whole year Right, So this is not exhaustive. This is, these are the things I believe that the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to us today. Empowered to preach. What is preaching? It's simply this. It's the declaration of the good news of the gospel. It's just sharing the good news. I had a re- an incident recently where um, it was up in Alaska where people in our family and, and kind of that, that circle of people know that I'm a pastor but there's a whole lot of people who aren't believers. And so there's just this interesting tension that exists um, because no one really ever comes out and just says, so, so how's your church going? How's, how's, right? they, don't, they don't talk like that. It's just kind of this unspoken, oh, Barry and Megan are pastors, and it's kind of, well, in the midst of the pain that our family was going through, I just had kind of said, hey, if anyone needs to talk, you know, it's kind of, kind of what I do, <laughs> Right, And I'm, I'm available, and, and I have some resources. And, and so a particular individual had come to me on behalf of someone else and said, Hey, this person really wants to talk to you, but they just don't want you to preach at them. They don't want you to preach. And I understood what they were saying. See, because preaching for us in our context, in our culture, has become this, I'm going to beat you over the head with this message that you need to believe right? Don't get all preachy with me. You know what I'm saying? But at its core, preaching is simply declaring the good news, and who doesn't want to hear good news? That's right. And so we can't shy away from the word because it's been misinterpreted. In fact, we need to redefine the word. Well, you might think, well, pastor, you're the preacher. Nope. You're a preacher. Can I tell you this morning, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, leave here today knowing this. You're a preacher. You are called to declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Not only that, you're empowered to do so. You are a preacher. You're called to preach the word. One of my favorite quotes is this. "What's one of my favorite quotes and one of my least favorite quotes at the same time. St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words right? And you've probably heard that before. Now, I've heard people say, like, you shouldn't have to open your mouth. No, at some point, you have to say something. (laughs) At some point, you have to lead people and tell them about the good news. But what he's saying here is that your life should declare the gospel. Your life should declare the good news. There should be such transformation. Why? Because you've been in the presence of God, and you've been transformed in prayer. And that your life isn't ordinary anymore, and you get to this place, and now if you're doing the first 1st first two, you're already preaching. And that preaching should lead to people going, what is it about you? Why is it that you live the way you do? Why is it you always have a smile on your face? Why is it, and when you go through hard times, it seems like you come out standing up, and it doesn't seem to affect you. What is it about you? Paul wrote this to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. In the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. In other words, Jesus is coming soon. Can I tell you, church, Jesus is coming soon? I give you this charge preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Can I suggest to you that a lot of preaching has a bad connotation to it? Because it's not done with great patience and careful instruction. You'll notice that I quote a lot of scripture in my sermons. Why? Because I want you to hear more of God's heart than mine. Because I guarantee you there's days I'm going to get it wrong. And I would rather you hear what he has to say than simply what I have to say. Preach the word. Be prepared. This is a word to you. Preach the word. Be prepared. When you go to work tomorrow, be prepared to preach the word with your life and with words when it's necessary. When it gets to that point, as people watch the preaching of your life, at some point, they need to ask the question, what is it about you? And you need to be ready to give them an answer. We've talked about that out of Peter. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope when people ask. Pre- preach the word. 1 Peter 1.12 says this, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that you have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the what? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven even angels long to look into these things. There is part of the heavenlies that doesn't get to partake in what we do. People who get all, ooh, there's angels, right? We, we are above the angels because we're partakers in the power and the blessing of who God is. The angels are not a part of that. And so we have to reverse that, right? And, and angels are amazing. They're in, in, angelic beings that war on our behalf. But they're not partakers like we are. And they look at our lives and go, whoa, I wish I could be like that. That's a whole nother study. But at some point, Peter says, someone preached the gospel to you. And you believed, and it changed your life. And by the way, when they preached it, they preached it by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're empowered to preach. And in the same way that you're sitting in this room, because at some point, some point someone preached to you, someone shared the gospel with you, my prayer is not just this, that these chairs, but the kingdom of heaven would be populated with people who receive the gospel from you as you preach. Why? Because you're empowered to pray, you're empowered to live extraordinary lives, and you, church, are empowered to preach. Can we stand together as we close? This is absolutely one of those sermons that is more about action and less about you just thinking about it. And I'm just gonna say that right up front. When you leave today, the onus is on you to do something with what you've heard today. The responsibility is yours. Why? Because you're the church. You're the people of God. We're in a building, but you're the church. And Jesus is calling his church to pray. You're going to hear more about this in the coming weeks. We're going to talk a lot more about prayer and what prayer looks like at Thrive Church. I believe that God is stirring and awakening some things in our hearts. Not that we've never been a people of prayer, but I believe that there's a depth of prayer that He wants us to encounter, a depth of His presence that will lead to transformation, not just for us, but for our community. And so I invite you, as you leave today As you go about your week, would you set some reminders on your phone? Would you put some sticky notes around your house that remind you to pray and start developing the discipline of being in the presence of God and watch what happens? Sit back and watch what God will do in your life. Father God, this morning we invite the power of your Holy Spirit to invade our reality to transform us. God, I pray that we would be a people who hunger and thirst to be with you. That we would not be satisfied with not being in your presence. That we would long for more of who you are in every part of our lives. Holy Spirit, that you would be poured out in our midst and in this church, in this gathering, In the same way that you were poured out 2,000 years ago in that upper room, I pray, Lord, that not just this room, but our bedrooms and our living rooms would be turned into upper rooms. Holy Spirit, where you would invade our reality. And in the same way that those disciples knew that something was happening, Lord, that we would know that you are moving in our midst. And in it all, that you would get the glory and the honor. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together as we close. Good. You go. Rejoice, for we do not have to tear down. <laughs> you can leave all the chairs up. Uh, and just a quick reminder: we have uh we have church in the park, we have a picnic in the park after this, so grab lunch and we will see you at Finkbeiner Park. All right, bless you, and we'll see you next week.
1: The sound of heaven